Let us pray. Father, we thank you for voices of praise. Whether they are four or 44 or 84, you call us to give you praise, for you are worth the highest praise. Lord, as we come now once again to seriously consider Holy Scripture, I pray that you give us eyes and ears and hearts ready to know, that you help us to think critically and listen actively so that we might radically love as we've been loved. All this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome back to week number four of the Good and Beautiful God series. The first sermon in this series was on Ash Wednesday. And on that day, we considered the question, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? The answer to which is a metamorphosis, I guess, from caterpillar to butterfly or tadpole to frog. A transformation of our minds as we renovate them with Jesus to rid ourselves of the lies that we believe about God, about ourselves, and about others. The second sermon in this series addressed the common false narrative that the reason bad things happen and that life is unfair is because God is mad at us or punishing us. And God is not the cause of suffering, nor does He cause injustice, but He personally knows what it is like to experience both and the promises to be with us no matter what, because God is good. Moreover, whatever may happen to us in this life, whether we are born with a disability, go through a serious injury or illness, walk through a devastating divorce, suffer the loss of a child, or any other injustice or suffering, God promises that His goodness will be displayed to us and through us as we walk with Him through whatever that event might be. Now last week we considered how God is trustworthy. and We used the Lord's Prayer as our guide. See, Jesus invites us into an intimate relationship with the Godhead by encouraging us to call on God like He called on God. Father, Abba, Daddy. See, our Father will provide everything we need, including and especially a cup. The cup the Father gives us is where we are to place all of our suffering. It reminds us that we are blessed with the opportunity to consciously pray and depend upon our Father and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, today's sermon is not about toilet paper and hand sanitizer. But I think it's worth talking about yet again. Did you ever in a million years think that we would have problems finding toilet paper or hand sanitizer? No, no. I didn't either. And then for stores to place restrictions on us on how much we can take when it finally comes in, you know. There's this one fellow that lived close to the last church I served. Now, he was apparently a toilet paper hoarder before this all began. So he had like an entire room full of multi-packs of toilet paper. So when this all came out, first thing he did was bring one, one of his multi-packs over to the church and goes, if anybody is in need of toilet paper... This is for them. Number one, I thought it was cool. Number two, about six months later, I used it because nobody wanted it. (laughs) Didn't go to waste. The point is this. During the pandemic and, and even now, 
we were operating based on fear. The formal word for acting based upon fear is scarcity. Scarcity is an insufficient supply of something or a lack of abundance. See, our society lives and moves from the position of scarcity. Statements like, I never got enough love from my parents or I never had enough as a child or perhaps the most toxic, I'm not good enough are all the results of scarcity thinking. In fact, scarcity thinking informs human nature. Because as humans, we must earn our shelter, earn our food, earn our clothing from work. If we do not work, then we will not earn. And if we do not earn, then we will not have. Right? Scarcity thinking impacts our human condition in a very powerful way because it also causes us to work to earn the favor of other people as well as give our favor to other people. I'll never forget when I, um, I graduated high school, I, uh, I was off to the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. I had done very well, first chair All-State, uh, full ride to this prestigious school, and I got there, and... Um, And I just could not practice enough. I couldn't be good enough. There was nothing I could do to, um, I just, I'll I'll be honest with you, I went there already feeling worthless. I just wasn't good enough. And so I just continued to practice. And and it got to a place where I couldn't, I couldn't even go to class and just because I was just so focused on the fact that I could not be good enough. I just, I wanted to excel so much that I could prove that I was worth something, worth something to my peers, worth something to my teachers, worth something to my family. And, and the truth of the matter is, no matter how much I worked, I felt worthless. And that, that went into all my relationships. It went into all my relationships including and especially my relationship with God. See, I thought if I wasn't constantly earning favor with my family and my peers, then I would never earn favor with God. And that in the eyes of God and the eyes of everybody else, I would be completely worthless. And if I'm being honest, I'm still overcoming the false narrative that Randy is not good enough. I think the human narrative is littered with falsehoods. The human condition bids us to transfer our falsehoods onto God because we assume that since we operate from a position of scarcity, that God too must operate this way. But nothing could be further from the truth. There is no scarcity with God because God operates from a position of generosity. He's a God with, I don't know, a never-ending supply of toilet paper. God operates from a position of generosity. You know, in our narrative, in the human experience, generosity is born out of one of two things. Compassion or abundance. Compassion because there is a need or abundance because we have more than enough. But because we are human, there are limits. Limits to what we have. Limits to our generosity. Even Bill Gates has limits, right? But God's generosity is without limits. His abundance is limitless. And His compassion never ending. 
As the words of Lamentations remind us, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I said to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. Great is your faithfulness. When it comes to our relationship with God, our Father wants us to have the right narrative. Our Father wants us to know that we cannot work hard enough to earn His favor. Because His favor has already been given to us because He's a generous God. And Jesus offers the right narrative in the parable of the equally paid workers. Now, today's scripture lesson begins at 6 o'clock in the morning. It's a 12-hour workday in the ancient Near East. begins at 6 or from sunup to sundown. The farmer goes to the center of town, which is the marketplace. This is where the day laborers, they gathered every single day in order to see if they could get hired in order to make a little bit of money so they could have daily bread. That's why Jesus emphasized earlier in the gospel, give us today our daily bread. See, the promise of the farmer was to pay them a denarius. That was the fair wage of the day. And so the scenario begins at six. It repeats itself at nine, then again at noon, then again at three. And then with only one hour left in the workday, the landowner returns to the marketplace. He still needs more people to work that vineyard. And he hires everybody else he sees there. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and they each received a denarius. So when those who came first were hired or hired were first, they they expected to receive more, wouldn't you? Man, if they're getting a denarius, I bet I get two or three. But each one of them also received a denarius. You know, nothing seems more unequal than equal treatment of unequals. Hear that again. Nothing seems more unequal than the equal treatment of unequals. I mean, I'll be honest. If I've been out in that field since 6 o'clock in the morning working all day and this joker shows up at the end with only an hour left and he gets paid what I get paid, I'm pretty sure I would lose my mind. <laughs> right? I don't know. I, I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe you would, but I, I would. And... Of course, these people grumbled, right? When they received it, they began to grumble against the land over. These people were hired last, only worked one hour. You made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he assured one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? We have a fair father. He promised to pay the first workers what he paid them, and he did. God in his sovereignty freely chooses whom he will favor and in what ways. My own money here is better translated as my things. Don't I have the right to do with my things what I want to do? Y'all ever had that conversation with your children? (laughs) this is my stuff it's not yours daddy give us daddy can take us away (laughs) whatever I can or can't Amy can right whatever we give us we take us away 
And when it gets heavy like that in our house, we do use the king's English. Giveth and taketh. It just happens. The translation of are you generous because I am, are you envious because I'm generous is literally rendered, is, is your eye evil because I am good? Have you lost your perspective? Now remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? So in other words, are you transferring human limits of generosity onto a God without limits? Are you transferring human limits of generosity onto a God that is without limits? You know, one of my favorite passages of Scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 3. Here the Apostle Paul composes his second letter to the Ephesians, or sorry, his second prayer for the Ephesians about generosity and God's loves. He prays this, I love this. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, one of the things that shifted the way I looked at everything is when we had our first child. When we, after we had our first child, I thought, the, the, one of the very first things I thought, um, especially after I held her in my arms, is, Lord, how could you have possibly given your child for us? Because if it's in me, I'd never do it. And when we found out that Amy was pregnant with Haley, I became scared. Any of you second child parents maybe know what I'm getting ready to talk about. I was scared. I'm an only, I'm an only child, right? So I, I don't know how it works. Um, you know, I guess I probably ate my brother or sister in the womb. It was just going to be me. So I just assumed, you know. So I was scared. I was scared that I was not going to be able to love Haley as much as I love Maddie. Not that I'm a terrible person. Or not even that the firstborn is my favorite or, or not my favorite. You know what I mean? I, th- I was just concerned. I was scared that I wouldn't have the capacity to love both children equally. I'm just sharing with you straight up. I was scared about that. But God is so good. Because the moment Haley entered this world, my heart grew an extra chamber just for her. And Amy and I celebrate the beautiful differences and similarities of each child. And this is true. What I'm going to say is true to their character. Madison came into the world and looked at it with wonder. And she still does. And Haley came into the world and she said, I'm taking over. (laughs) And my mother's curse came true in that moment. If you don't know what that is, you can Google it. (laughs) And to both girls, we read and we sang and we prayed every night. And one of our favorite books is this one. I love you this much. It's based on Paul's prayer that I just shared with you. 
throughout the book and at the very end, the refrain is like this. It goes like this. I love you best. I love you most. I love you high. I love you low. I love you deep. I love you wide. I love you. I love you. I love you. This much. Together we read this to Maddie and Haley, and together they became uh, those kind of, they were saying it with us, and our prayer was and is that our children might understand God's economy of love, in part through us, because there is nothing that either child can do that we would love them any less. It's already given. We love them, we delight in them just because they are. And we love to see Maddie and Haley smile. We love it. And you know what? God delights in us. He loves to see us smile. Jesus reminds us, if we who are human know how to give give gifts to our children, how much more will our Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him God is generous. He doesn't love us because of what we can do for Him. We don't have to perform our way into the kingdom of God. We don't have to prove our worth to God. We don't have to earn our place. We can't earn our salvation. It's impossible to earn our salvation. That's why it's salvation. As the Apostle Paul reminds us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this ain't from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. God is a generous God. So don't place barriers on the Father's generosity. Don't allow fear. Don't allow unresolved pain or unresolved conflict. Don't allow feelings of inadequacy like God doesn't want what I can give. That ain't true. Don't allow judging others. I don't think God should love so and so. By the way, if you think that about others, you probably think about yourself. You just haven't realized it. Or my personal favorite. I'm just not good enough. These are all false narratives. These are all lies we believe because of scarcity. And the lies create a barrier to accepting the illimitable generosity of our Father. And so as Paul ends chapter 3 from his prayer to the Ephesians, I want to end this sermon. He writes, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You see, our Father can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And that means he wants you to find your worth in him. Because he's just crazy about you. He wants you to be rooted in him so that you can know the width and the depth And the length and the height of his love for you. Because God delights in you. He loves you best. He loves you most. He loves you high. 
He loves you low. He loves you deep. He loves you wide. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. This much. Those are the words of our Father. Seriously consider this day for the Church of Calvary and all with ears to hear. Our God is generous with his love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray.